to the socially distant sports bar. Mike Bubbins, Ellis James and Steph Guerrero trying our best to focus on sport when all we really want to do is watch Bobby Davro and his friends flaunt every health and safety rule in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. We are on episode number eight and we're making an impact, gentlemen. We are currently the 77th biggest arts and entertainment podcast in Malta. Well, come on, Malta. Yes. That is what we were aiming for when we started this off. Valletta Massive are into it. We are the 34th best sports podcast in Belgium. The big markets oh. are being sewn up by us, guys. Is the, is the Malta, do that include Gozo figures as well? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I'm going to have to have a look at that. Probably got more yeah. Gozo. <laughs> do you reckon it's the Maltese cross neath RFC connection? I don't know. Maybe it's my mate John Dimond, who's, who played international rugby for Malta. If he's from Bari, how would how how is he eligible? Maltese for connection. Malta? I think his parents are Maltese. Lots of Maltese in South in the sea of Bari and Cardiff area. Around. Well, my my kids are eligible to play for Wales, Scotland, and England, so they're hedging their mm. bets a little bit. I might as well play for Wales and England, and so much, which makes my kids also oh, because my dad was born. Keep this between us, yeah, uh, and the listeners. My dad was born in Worthing in Sussex. True story, Al, that uh, my sister's into all this sort of bullshit about genealogy and stuff. Yeah. Um, in the 1851 census, one bubbins in the UK, mm. a solitary bubbins. I did those. Eth- I did one of those ethically cleansing, questionable oh, DNA tests to tell okay. me where I'm from. Yeah. Right, how'd you go? And, uh, Welsh. Come out of pocket, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Come out, come out. Eight miles from my front said, door on both sides forever. <laughs> Basically, said your relatives should have gone out. Have to you seen those DNA tests? Well, they do that mapping. Yeah. North Wales is like yeah. a different planet. Have you seen it? <laughs> There's no. They don't. They don't link to anybody. They don't even link to Anglesey or Mid Wales. It's just <laughs> North Wales. They've found genetic differences between people in North and South Pembrokeshire. Well, because they've got the Lanska line. Let's get a bang it. They love this, the, uh, the Belgians. Go on. So South, yeah, South, South Pembrokeshire was, like, was colonised by the Flemish That's in right. the 11th century. I think around there, yeah. So, what, the, you know, South, South Pembrokeshire, the little England beyond Wales, and all of the towns or, or villages have got quite English-sounding names, whereas you go 20 miles up, North and then it's Eglusuru and Crumich and you know. See, this is the. I mean, we're always yeah. fairly postcode, right? Yeah. <laughs> but this is like within the postcode. This is when you put your yeah. postcode into like Amazon and then you got to choose your house number. <laughs> the ten. It's less than a postcode. I read a review yeah. on Apple that said that Don't despite reviews, them being three Welshmen, they were em- <laughs> they, they were relatable. We were- <laughs> It's like that, we were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah not that, that, that ship has now sailed. <laughs> if, uh, if, if, if you're one of our uh, Belgian listeners, maybe you've got Walloon as a first language. The Lanska Line has a Wikipedia page. I wonder what sort of formation the Rebecca Rioters would have liked <laughs> if they were playing football today. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. Big uh, woman up front. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. With that in mind, uh, Mike, you go first. Try and relate this one to Wales. This features a a people that I've got a lot of time for because they are um, people who have quite a law unto themselves, which which I like. People who are quite happy to cock a snooker authority. Um, And this is, I mean, if Tyson Fury is the king of the gypsies, this is the, the gypsy king's father. So what does that make him? This is absolute class. We, we, We mentioned about people calling each other out on, on the internet uh, a, a pot or two ago. 
So this is uh, the one and only John Fury. There's no waiting around. I want you to go today. Shut to mullet, pig. Are you listening to me, pig? I want you to go today. There's no money for you. There's no, there might be a little bit of fame for you. Two minutes till I plaster you. But let me tell you something, mate. There's no money in this for you. And I know you haven't got ten pound. So I'm going to box you for free. Not box you, fight you for free. I've got fame. I've got money. I've got enough. But what I want to do is do you some serious damage. Are you hearing me, you pig? So I'm good as that. I mean, two, two things, two things spring to mind, right? One is that Tyson Fury and his old man, I've never heard two people sound oh. so identical, right? I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, they, sound, good point, they sound absolutely identical <laughs> yeah. to each other, right? <laughs> Secondly... With an accent that is unique to oh, them. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. what I mean. It doesn't come from anywhere in particular other than, you know, you couldn't pay me enough money to fight him. And I, and I like <laughs> oh, a fight. <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough money to fight that man. What a nutcase. I love him. I absolutely love him. The, the best bit... Well... <laughs> He's a, I've never seen a Shepton Mallet pig. Shepton Mallet pig? No. You, you're Shepton Mallet pig! <laughs> you're Shepton Mallet pig! I won't even mention your name, you Shepton Mallet, ugly Shepton Mallet pig! I just thought... So I, I don't know what a Shepton Mallet pig looks like. I need to look into it. Favourite bit of that video Good is God. where he contradicts himself with absolute gay abandon about halfway through. Yeah. And go, break your fucking jaw! I don't even fucking swear! <laughs> yeah. I... I would say that some of his messaging is inconsistent. How <laughs> intimidating does he look? Oh, yeah, terrifying. I mean, it's the way he, we, we've talked about people with hair triggers, right? He'll be livid. And I mean, like, and not, and not like, you know, you see on uh, mixed martial arts or you see on uh, boxing promos, yeah. you're trying to put bums on seats, right? There appears to be none of that going on. It seems to be fairly genuine. But it's just the one bit when he puts his hands up to the camera. They are absolutely huge, those fists as well. I'm not sure how tall he is. I mean, what's Tyson, 6'9"? Yeah, 6'9", yeah. So his old man's got to be a big lad as well. Even when he's saying his address, it's threatening. 51 Moss Lane style! Yeah, none of that mobile phone bollocks for John Fury. None of that, here's my mobile phone number. Here's my actual address. Yeah, here's where I live. What, what I found funny, though, is I, <laughs> I, I then found Mickey Theo's uh, video. Yeah. Watch that and what well. I what I find quite funny about all of these videos where angry, violent people call each other out online mm. is it's angry, 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 threat, 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 and then eventually it has to come down to admin. Have you noticed this? Keith was like, "I'm going to break your jaw. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to smash you. I'm going to fucking. I'm going to fuck you up." And for some reason, you haven't replied to my email. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, would, I would love to see the email. What's the subject line? Hi, John. Are <laughs> I fucking you up? Are we ragged in scrapyard? <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if you were free. 51 Mosley. Yeah. Well, do you, when, is, is, is another video I saw linked to it, because I went down a bit of a, one of our famous rabbit holes, is his manager then explaining why he hadn't emailed the bloke back. <laughs> You know, he's got a lot on at the moment. And then he starts... Maybe, maybe it ended up in your spam folder. Check your spam folder. Yeah. Hey, because I'm going to fuck you up. Get Check me. your junk. Fucking flag this in your party mail. I'm going to fucking <laughs> smash your teeth in. Check your junk. I, I've had problems with MailChimp in the past, <laughs> and I apologise. But this threat is real. It's genuine. I've got to be honest. Read my call-out video date of the 9th of April... 
Um, it was in my outbox. It was in my sent items, and I apologise, but I'm still going to fuck you up the first opportunity Listen, I right? get. I'll put £250,000 up, and that is PayPal. That's legit. going to bax you it. I need your salt code. You can pay it bax, PayPal, credit card. Behave yourself. Will you? None of that Bitcoin bollocks. I've changed from Outlook because I think Gmail's actually got a more consistent server. It's a better server. I'm going to fuck you up. Get the Firefox on there, you fucking slag. What? Easy. Easy, boys. Easy, boys. The best bit about that, right? So there's these two middle-aged blokes that I wouldn't fuck with either of them, right? To be fair, right? Yeah. Both hard as nails, both fairly unhinged, both with a penchant for, for, for tech, right? <laughs> <laughs> They've been threatening each other in no uncertain terms. The amount of physical damage they can do to each other in various scrapyards and back gardens, right? <laughs> and his manager says something like, you know, I've been on to the NHS, they're not interested, they don't want our money. <laughs> well, of course they don't, you lunatic. <laughs> I've been on to the NHS. Hi there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's Dave, John Fury's uh, de facto manager. <laughs> Um, John's interested in kicking the fuck out of Mickey Theo in a scrapyard in London. Uh, we could be talking upwards of half a million pounds. Would you mind if... He'll wear a rainbow T-shirt. <laughs> could we attach an NHS banner to some scrap cars? We all have individual relationships with our fathers. I am delighted that my dad in the 90s, when I was, when I was growing up, wasn't doing these call-up videos to people he knew. <laughs> like then, it is up to, <laughs> like then um, the message to, to Dennis Binder, financial advisor, who lives in Sunday Law, I will fight you in John Street car park, Marvin. <laughs> or, or I, I don't know, um, uh, St Peter's car park doesn't bother me. It's, it's, it's £4 for an hour. I, 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 I'll put in £8. I'll fight, you for, I'll fight you for eight hours, and then I've got to pick my daughter up from athletics. Come on, Arias up a seven. So as long as it's done by then, I'll fight you. I might have a problem with a bloke called Arthur Champ at the golf club. Right. But he didn't call him out. He just, he just got... I think he, I think he called him a naughty name in the bar, and then he got banned from the golf club for a month, so he had a drink in the, in the Cocker Arms pub over the road. But at no point did my dad... And this is pre-internet days. He didn't, he didn't write... Didn't write Arthur a threatening a threatening letter, you know, <laughs> offering him to meet him in Leo's at any point in, in that interim month. He could have he could have borrowed a primitive video camera. Yeah, that'd have been good. And sort of set it up. I'm not sure Arthur had a video recorder. He, he, he never had to drop the VCR off as well as a thing. <laughs> and by that time, probably you know that probably would have been he's, the impact's he's gone down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fair play to Bob Bubbins. Love, he's only dropped a video recorder on for us. What's on it, Arthur? Oh, Bob Bubbins absolutely losing his shit with me. <laughs> About the golf club. He wants... Oh, he's annoyed I haven't replied to his facts. <laughs> but he gets, he gets to a point of anger where then he just goes, and Mike Tyson? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's Tyson? You're going to start yeah, yeah. on Mike Tyson? What I, what, I, what I love about Mike Tyson is he's actually obsessed by the history of boxing. Yeah. And as the three of us know, Merthyr, well, South Wales, in, but Merthyr in particular, has produced an awful lot of fantastic boxers. Ooh. So a few years ago, he came to Merthyr to pay really? homage yeah. to all of these yeah. great fighters. Yeah, yeah. That. So, you know, people like Johnny Owen and Howard Winston, and mm. and he was in the middle of town, and apparently a lot of people came out of the weather spoons in Merthyr, and they were all shouting at him, 
make you think you're fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. How could you cope with a street fight down the Gurnas estate? I imagine brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely no problem at all. I imagine he'd be superb. <laughs> you, man, Mike Tyson thinks he's fucking you're hard. You're hard in a ring, but anyway, you're hard in a ring, like, but I ain't yeah. talking about no gloves. You know what I mean? And then, I'm, I'm talking about, like, prostate fighting now, like, proper nose barred fucking messing about, like... Like, me, me and Digger, like, Digger's from Aberdeen, he loves a fucking scuffle. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got, you got Thumper there from Troy the Roo, he loves a fight as well. So, Digger, Thumper, me will take you on, Mike. Oh. See what, see if you're proper genuine art, uh, and not, like, ring art. <laughs> no place to hide mine down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dancing round, didn't they, with your jabbing and your hooking and your uppercuts? Yeah, no, talking about proper scrapping, mate. Isn't it no place? You know, it's easy to it's easy to look hard, but you try fighting outside Papa John's or in the morning. <laughs> that's proper fighting. That is. How was it, Mike? Paying paying homage to all of these great boxes. Oh, I well, I think what I was going to think of a mastic man. <laughs> I was going to pop called the mastic man in Merthyr and like that. I came out of these guys who were getting fresh with me outside of a burger bar and it's. Uh, some guy from the Gurnas. <laughs> I thought I'd get a lot of respect him as a fighter, but uh, if you listen, Mike Tyson, I I'm do so apologize sorry. for that. You know, he'd had a horrific upbringing yeah, yeah, in yeah. Brownsville, which is a part it's of... It's not the Gurnas, is it? It's not Triaris. <laughs> you think that's bad, mate? I worked in a glove factory in Pontypridd. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one with gangs, Mike. You're tell you for nothing, but not the only gang, mate. We had a gang called a Duffed in Dolly's Head, right? My mate Christian Barker ran it. <laughs> what was it called that? We just found a doll with a Duffed in Head, like. What you used to do? Smoke. Smoke, smoke <laughs> blow, isn't it? Yeah. Smoke blow. It's a slightly different gang culture if you grew up in. Yeah. A lot less. I mean, well, I, I, the gangs that I was in as a kid. God. Involved things like making grass dens. When the, when the council cut yeah. the field, we'd make a grass den. And, then, and if we had one nutter on the street, I'm not going to name his name. But his sort of gang warfare was he'd go and piss on other people's dens at night. In my gang, we used to dare each other to jump off my mum and dad's garage roof. Uh, who was oh, in the gang? Just you and your mum and dad, was it? <laughs> <laughs> We'd all jump together holding hands. Like the Lost Boys, but much shitter. <laughs> yeah. But but it, but mum and dad could always tell because if, if, if you jumped off the garage roof, you'd end up in the rhubarb. <laughs> so yeah, same. slightly different gangs. Yes, but you know, different gangs, different needs. Same, same. Bloods and the Crips. Bit of rhubarb regrowing, all the same. <laughs> there was a Nick's Calf gang in uh, in Barry. Nick's Calf with, with, with the gang when I was about seventeen, eighteen. And there's a few of them. I mean, Paul Ockerbrali was in there. Harko. Okay. Uh, I, I think Stephen Bat was in there at one point. You didn't mess. You didn't mess with the next calf lads. You didn't mess with the next calf lads. They just wanted to get thrown on the bank in school. Imagine <laughs> throwing Mike Tyson down the bank. Imagine bank, yeah. bank him. Banksies <laughs> used to call. What, what, what happened to Mike Tyson? While they tried to bank him, she knocked out all of year three. <laughs> <laughs> bank him. New kid in school. Where's he from? America. <laughs> <laughs> He's got very broad shoulders for a 14-year-old. Oh I don't want any trouble, guys. Thank <laughs> him. <laughs> Let's go for your first choice this week. Gal, what have you gone for? I think, rather than my dental records, a more accurate way of ageing me, or like carbon dating me, is, is my attitude as a football fan to the FA Cup. I 
love the FA Cup and I love the FA Cup because my earliest memories of football involve watching the FA Cup final. I started watching the 88 FA Cup final, got a bit bored and went outside to play. But 89, I watched the whole way through. Right. And then absolutely smitten. 1990, Crystal Palace, Man United. Yeah. Spurs, Forest in 91. And I, I love the competition. And one of the best aspects of what I still think is a great competition is giant killing in the third round. Now, when it comes to giant killing... Um, it's always really the same games that get mentioned. It's uh, Coventry losing to Sutton in 89. Obviously, Coventry had won it 18 months before. Hereford versus Newcastle at Edgar Street is is probably the most famous one. Um, I think in the modern era, the only one that comes close is Wigan beating Man City a couple of years ago. Yeah. Because it's still really the, the big ones in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and 90s, they're, they're, that's the golden era of, of the giant killing. And it really frustrates me when people say that Hereford and Newcastle, Ronnie Radford is the best one, because it is clearly Wrexham 2, Arsenal 1 from January 1992. Andrew Mickey Thomas feels he's got his score to settle against Arsenal. Lost in a cup final against him when he played for Manchester United. And it's Thomas who takes it. Oh, what a goal, Mickey Thomas! He's done it, the magic little man at the venerable age of 37. Arsenal the champions. They'd won it twice in three years. The season they'd won it the season before, they'd um, they'd only conceded 18 goals, 23 really? clean sheets. They'd only lost one game. They almost did an Invincibles, yeah. you know, 15 years or so before they actually did it under George Graham. That, well, that was one hell of a team. Yeah. And also in 1992, the FA Cup hadn't been devalued in the way that it has now, unfortunately. So there was none of that playing a weakened team yeah. stuff. That was that was George Graham's best side. Now, Wrexham had finished bottom of the entire Football League the season before. And the only reason they hadn't been relegated from the Football League was because they were restructuring the Football League. It, it, it was the first, it was the best team playing it's the 92nd best team. First to last at the race course. Now, I love the race course. And um, some great Welsh victories, you know, for the national team happened at the race yeah. course. But the fact that Mickey Thomas, who was 37, <laughs> and a, can I say a bit of a rogue, I think, a character, maybe yes. a, better, no, I think both. A, better, a better word of describing Mickey Thomas. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, he was a really good player. Played for Man United, played in the Centennial Cup final. Yeah. He was a very, very good player. Uh, and unfortunately for Mickey... The first thing I think of when I think of Mickey Thomas is him being stabbed in the buttocks yes. with a screwdriver. Yes, he was when he was caught with a woman in um, a Volkswagen Polo. It's, it's like it's quite a shit car. I can't remember. What, I think it might be a Volkswagen Golf. The, the anyway. most British affair ever. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he gets stabbed in the buttocks fifteen times. That means a screwdriver in a Volkswagen Polo. He also went. Um, he went to prison for money laundering through the YTS boys. At Wrexham. He's printing. He's printing in his garage. I think he was forging, wasn't yeah. he forging 20s and selling them to the youth team? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think from Brilliant. what I remember, the I forgeries that. were really bad. I think if, if, if anyone sells you a £20 note for less than £20, yeah. alarm bells have got to ring. I would say, <laughs> unless it was 1999, my brain yeah. would go, ooh. But also, if yeah. you're the youth team coach, right? <laughs> Or whatever he was doing, you're selling to sixteen-year-old kids, right? 
by definition, they can't go anywhere else apart from the town you live in, right? <laughs> yeah. Wrecks them right. So they go, they go into the, the chip shop. There's probably, you could probably throw a chip at the chip shop from the training ground, right? Yeah. And they try to pay with a, with a 20 that Mickey's just made in his garage. With a picture of Mickey where the Queen should be. On his, on, on his photocop. Where did yeah. you get these from? <laughs> did he um, photocopy this money, Mickey? No. It's on pink paper. <laughs> <laughs> what a goal, though, mate. What a strike. What a oh. goal. Um, I love Steve Watkin as well, and it's very much of its era. And even though Wrexham, you know, they were um, rivals to the Swans, um, because we were often in the same division as them in, in the 90s when I was growing up. I, I have a real affection for Wrexham. I've met a lot of Wrexham fans on Wales Away trips and they are a good bunch. I, I worked a little bit with Mickey Thomas down the years and he tells this brilliant story about when he was in jail after the fruit. Because he actually he, you know, he got sent down properly and went to yeah. jail. But the guards really quite liked him because he was Mickey Thomas off of Man United and Chelsea. So they immediately kind of gave him a little bit more leeway than everybody else. And they gave him 20 quid each. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, £22 notes. Wait till it dries, lads. And they used to let him out. So they used to put, when the whoever was the prison warden wasn't there, they used to put a ladder. Not gen- genuine story, right? Super. They used to put a ladder, how British do you want this to be, against the wall. He would climb out. They would push the ladder over the top. He'd go to the local pub. Shut oh up. This God. is amazing. 100%, right? And then come back, climb back up the ladder, back in. See you later, lads. And back see, wow. he has not reoffended since. This is what I'm talking about, rehabilitation. Prison should not just be punishment, should it? One night he got back, the ladder wasn't there. <laughs> he had to knock on the door of jail. He had to rob a newsagent, get, oh, get back in. Wow. Oh, shut up. I remember the tail end of his career at Wrexham. When he was, you know, he was 37 when he scored that goal against Arsenal, that yeah. free kick. He looked older than that way, mate, didn't he? Oh, my God, yeah. How was Ronaldo? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't see a Mickey Thomas. I don't see a Mickey Thomas calendar this Christmas. Put it that way. <laughs> so, oh. so I I don't remember him at his best. But the the game he played against England in '84 when he was at Chelsea, mm. he was brilliant that day. He, he was brilliant. He and used to take girls back to um, because he didn't have a place in London. He used to live in the changing rooms at Stamford Bridge. So you're no, no, liking this more and more. Hundred percent. So he didn't. He must have a book out. He must have. An there, there is an autobiography. It's very, yeah, very I'll good. Have to buy that. Um, <laughs> he lived in the changing room. Well, this is super. Is he, he, would, he would. He would come. Well, basically, they used to pay him a train fare home. So sometimes I'm he wouldn't come home, and he'd trouser the train fare to buy a printing press eventually. Oh, wow. And he could buy some more A4. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he's 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 a card photocopier. <laughs> so, so, so Mick would, he would bring girls back to uh, Stamford Bridge and put the floodlights on. If you can't get a leg over after doing that, you've got no chance. <laughs> As a virile 18, 19 year old, <laughs> if I could have taken a young lady back to Jenna Park in Barry and turned <laughs> turn the floodlights on, I mean, the world yeah. would be my oyster, my absolute oyster. Take her into the dress room, you know, you <laughs> hang, your, hang your coat up, any way you like. <laughs> Pick a peg. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to have a shower, love, have it quick, because it will go cold very quickly. You know, you've got to push it again. It's like in a leisure centre. <laughs> <laughs> right, my first choice for this week is uh, from Super Rugby, which is coming back pretty soon. Um, this is the Auckland Blues against the Canterbury Crusades. He's not going to pass it as he does to Rokathoko. Joe Rokathoko. 
hell of a move, isn't it? Just, to throw it across your own posts. Oh. The, the danger involved in that for the start is fantastic. The fact that they're going to win and get rid of Canterbury's bonus point, the losing bonus point, if they get the try and conversion, adds to it. The fact that Carlos Spencer is so keen on sticking it to the Canterbury crowd. Are they, uh, are they big rivals, yeah. those two clubs? Right. Yeah, and uh, I don't think he was the most popular of players outside of Auckland anyway. I think he was very much... Uh, He's a bit of a show pony of a fly half, and I think a lot of the New Zealand public didn't really take to him much, especially if you weren't was he, from where he was Was he from. one of those players who, if they're playing for your club, you love yes. them? Yes, yeah. But everyone else hates them. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I loved him all that. And he couldn't have taken any further away yeah. from the post than he did. Do you know, do you know what it is? Superb. It's the equivalent, which I don't think I've ever seen in a proper game of football. I've only ever seen this like on the playground, of rounding the keeper. Yeah. And then stopping, yes. And then getting on your hands and knees Putting it in with your head. Never, ever, ever seen that done in rugby or anything similar. It's just spiteful, and it it, it denies the Crusaders a bonus point, which so good. doesn't impact massively on their season eventually, but it could have. And then to give the crowd the bird as well, it's fantastic. <laughs> but what's better if if people hate you? Yeah, to do that must be a wonderful thing. I'll give you a reason to hate me right now. Yeah, I'll score the best try this season, and I'll rub your nose in it as well. <laughs> and I like the fact his teammates he, he met I don't know whether he's talked about it before a... but Dougie Howlett's just strutting next to him as well like yeah we're going to put it down in the corner yeah that's what we're doing <laughs> yeah well, there's about like half a dozen of them in the corner around him isn't there yeah and they're just like yeah go on Ed. yeah nobody's going put it down put it down put it down no 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 <laughs> that's what I'd have been doing yeah. I'm that guy please please Carlos, come please, on please. you know you can get the kick we all know you're good if that had been Dave Bishop on the other side people are getting knocked out at that point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking the piss that <laughs> it's one of my favourite tries and I think it's up there with just for pure skill it's probably up there with the one France score at Twickenham which I think is the best try ever. They didn't launch it past the crossbar as well, though. That was the that, that's the that bit first for me. pass, and he does the first pass. Yeah. So to start the move, where you should just kick it out, but to start the move anyway from there is fantastic. But throwing it across your own posts, hmm. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. I mean, Super Rugby at that time was so good. I mean, it's, it's good now, right? But that that was a real, real golden period of rugby there. I think so. I think a lot of people sort of dismissed it as being basketball-style rugby, oh, but... It's like watching rugby league. Some of those tackles are brutal. I mean, after yeah. the ball's yes. gone, people That's are getting levelled off the ball. Yeah. It wasn't like it was It was like touch rugby, you know, no. basketball rugby. It was proper hardcore rugby, but just some fabulous tries and lots of them. I don't, I'd love to know what his coach said. If you get away with it, you can do whatever you like, can't well, you? Well, it's, it's the Ferguson Cantona thing, isn't it? He let... For, Cantona do whatever he wanted because he knew that Cantona was the best player. Did, the did you hear the story about that changing room when Cantona has done the kung fu kick in Against the crowd? Matthew Simmons, the Crystal Palace fan. Yeah. <laughs> so, How do I know his name? <laughs> so they're all walking back into the changing rooms after that, and I think Gary Pallister turns to Lee Sharp and just went, "Fucking wait for this. This is going to be something else from Ferguson." And apparently, lays into everybody. Just goes around the room, just going, "You can't." It's terrible, you're playing like this. And then just points to Eric and goes, you can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Documentary time. This week it is Mike's Choice. Mike, what have you gone for this week? This is a documentary about 
rugby league and and a labour of love really. The directors is a is a, a book I've worked with a few times um, on some rugby stuff for BBC uh, called Tarek Ali. And Tarek had this idea nearly twenty five years ago for this documentary and got knocked back and knocked back and knocked back and kept kept putting it out there. And eventually, a couple of years ago, got made. They repeated it just on Sunday night um, on BBC Wales. And it's called Code Breakers. And it's about the story about um, the Welsh players who went and played rugby league, uh, left rugby union to play rugby league. Now, as a as a Welsh lad growing up playing union, I knew a bit about it. Mm. And I knew a few of the names. Um, but I really had no idea. That's a bloody shame. Obviously, when I went, I said the right things in the press that it was. I needed a new challenge. as bullshit. I just needed security for, for my family. I'll hear stories of racism that still shock today. I'd have loved to play for Cardiff, and I'd absolutely, I'd dreamt of playing for Wales. The black man, the black boy, is never going to play for Wales. Never. I'll find out how shady agents enticed our boys to head north to the heartland of rugby league. We find them at the prince when they can just get him married. That's a good time because they want a house. It's usually a working class type of fellow that, that uh, shall I say, takes the bait or makes the right decision. And I'll discover just what was at stake if you did decide to switch codes. You'd be banished to hell. You'll be, you know, you'll never be forgiven. This is the story of the Welsh Rugby League player, the Rugby Codebreakers. I don't want to get on my high horse about it. I know Al, without putting words in his mouth, is, is of a similar um, opinion to me. But for me, a lot of the inequities in society are not about, particularly about race, although race is touched on in that quite a bit, but it, it's about class and, it, and it's about the working class. And I know that, uh, you know, my old man was a doctor. My mother was the first person in her family, you know, to ever go to university, but her, her dad was a coal miner. Yeah. But another part of that was just to grow up and play rugby and rugby union. And rugby league was even seen by the people that I grew up with playing as, as the enemy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, very much as as them stealing players from Wales to go and play this. The phrase you'd always hear in the early 90s when we were losing to Romania and... You know, didn't we lose in Namibia and and you know, on a development tour? Was we're playing our second fifteen? Yeah, yeah. Because of you know John Devereux and Alan Bateman and Scott yeah. Gibbs and Jonathan Davis, obviously. And I didn't realize, but it was weird that growing up for me, it was never an option. But we never considered rugby league because all we ever heard was bad things about it and stealing our players and this that and yeah. So to, this documentary is a real, real eye open. I have no idea that it went so far back but if you think about it of course it makes sense you know it makes sense that in wales where it is it is uh, rugby's a working class game yeah the blokes are gonna you know try and look after their family and, and you know and, and sort out the sort of their financial futures if they can do it and, and it was never going to be an option in wales i mean i i went a I played for uh, the rugby club in Barry. My dad played and captained the rugby club in Barry. I went to Barry Comprehensive School. My dad went to Barry Grammar School. And Barry is, there's no one famous in Barry, right? I'm including myself in that. But there's no one, for, I mean, Russell Grant lived there for a bit in the 80s, right? So a chubby bloke who does horoscopes <laughs> lived there, and that was that was a big deal, right? Put it this way, there's a fucking, there's a blue plaque in Barry, right? Yes. I shit you not. Right. There's a blue plaque in Barry because Bob Hope's mum and dad lived there for a bit, Right. 
Not even Bob Hope. He wasn't even born there. Bob Hope's mum and dad. You know, I hate to do this West versus East, East versus West one-upmanship, but when it comes to Carmarthen, do you know who's from Carmarthen? Surprise me. Merlin, the wizard. Oh, shut up, you tit. King Arthur's, King Arthur's wizard. That's one of the many places Merlin's from. Don't tell me that's where he got buried as well, with other 95 locations in the UK. <laughs> must have chopped him up into little bits, Merlin. He's everywhere, the twat. He's, he's, he's in most towns in Cornwall. Fuck <laughs> off, Merlin. What I'm saying is, we're, we're, there's a dearth, there's a dearth of talented people that have come out of Barry, right? If you Google yeah. Gus Risman is one of the all-time rugby league giants right yeah this is a man who took the, the the you know great britain on tour in 1946 to australia they didn't lose a game that's never happened since there are 11 welsh players in that squad 11 yeah. right gus risman is when they put the statue of rugby league in, in wembley he's one of the five people they've chosen to go on that statue yet one of the other ones is another welshman billy boston i'll talk about him in a second right so there's two of those five are welsh gus risman they, they, they mentioned in, on Wikipedia that he, was, that he was born in Cardiff, which he was. But he was, he was raised and went to school in Barry. He kept in Barry Grammar School, rugby team, right? I'd never heard of him. He's Stanley Matthews, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's the rugby league Stanley Matthews. He's Stanley Matthews, but, but if Stanley Matthews never got mentioned in his hometown. I love this documentary and thought it was fantastic, but it was quite an odd watch because as someone who classes himself as... A, a big sports fan and yeah. also a very patriotic sports fan. So mm. football's my game. Yeah. But if you are world class at something and you're Welsh, I will follow your career. So I don't know anything about taekwondo, but I will follow Jay Jones yeah. when she's you know competing in the Olympics or whatever. I think the best example of that is um, uh, world powerboating champion Jonathan, Jonathan Jones, Jones from the early 90s <laughs> was from Abertavi. <laughs> now, he's got a page in the scrapbook. <laughs> I don't even understand powerboating. I could not believe how little I knew about these uh, about these people. Yeah, and nothing. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. Yeah. Jim Sullivan, he, he's he's sort of um, the great Wigan player. Yeah. There's a statue of him outside Wigan's ground. He's worshipped up there. Yeah. Now, now... Wigan, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're the sort of Man United of rugby league, aren't they? They're, yes, they're probably England's most famous yeah. rugby league club. Yeah. Certainly, when I was watching a bit of rugby league in the nineties, they seemed to win it all the time. <laughs> their greatest ever player, mm. their George Best, their Kenny Dalglish, is a yeah. Welshman. I'd never heard of. No. Yeah, I just it blew my mind, and I obviously, I'm of an age where. I remember Jonathan Davis going. Yes. I remember John Devereux going. Yeah. And, you know, Scott yeah, Gibbs. Exactly. Di Young went as well, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. From what yeah. I remember. Yeah. Especially Jonathan Davis. You know, he was he was the, the 1980s Gareth Bale. I worshipped Jonathan Davis. Yeah. And I was heartbroken when he went. Now, as, as a father, if the thing I was world-class at didn't pay... Yes. ..and I had young kids, I would do the thing that allowed me to look after my children, right? My so, neighbour there, Vic next door... Uh, was good friends with Di Watkins. Yeah. So when Di, when Di Watkins went north, he, he would go north with him and you know he'd have a run out and, uh, and do a bit of training or whatever. And they both sort of they played club rugby in, in in South Wales together. You told me at the time when, uh, I might get the facts wrong, but but this is the gist of it, is that Di Watkins had come back and they were having a drink in, I'm not sure if it was Cardiff Arms Park or Rodney Parade, yeah. but they were having a, they were, there was a Newport game going on. 
And one of the committee men basically came over to Di Watkins and said, uh, you're not welcome here. Yeah, yeah. Professional crazy. You need yeah. to leave. So he made him leave. I'm not humiliating that for a start, right? But then where you see the discrepancy between players who understood what other players had to go through, especially to look after their families and the, the dickheads running the game, was when he left, all the sort of old fellas that were with him, ex-players left. And I think one of the players on, on the home team said, so what, what's going on? Oh, Dolly's been asked to leave, rugby league. Oh, we'll leave as well then. So both teams that have played that day yeah. left and went to the same pub. Yeah. Know, because they understood what it was like. You were persona non grata. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> you, couldn't speak, you couldn't speak to scouts. They couldn't be outside your house. I mean, that, this was the thing. Yeah. I really like the John Devereux story where he asked the witness guy to come down incognito and be really, really sort of, you know... Discreet. Yeah. Be as discreet as you can. He turns up in a full witness blazer, brings his yeah, mate, yeah. witness blazer, car, car yeah. with witness written all the way around the outside of it. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to go then, aren't I? I, I don't feel... I don't try trying to get ashamed on behalf of other people, but <laughs> as a white bloke, yes. who I like to think that's got no hang-ups about colour and creed and race, right? Yeah. To think that there were players there who went, oh. not just for the money, but because oh. they thought, if I stay here, I'm never going to get in a Welsh team. I'm never going to get the recognition. 100%. That is crazy. So Clive Sullivan is the first black sports person to captain a Great Britain side at anything. Yeah. yeah. In any sport. any sport. That was what blew my mind. In any sport. Any sport. So it's 1970s. I didn't, I'd never heard of him. Scores no. the greatest try... In you know probably one of the most played ones on grandstand, and wins the World Cup against yeah, Australia. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, but you know his I... nephew is Nathan Blake. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So I did not know that. And his son Anthony played for St Helens of the Great yeah. Britain as well. Ryan Giggs's father played rugby league. He did. Danny. Danny, Danny, Danny Wilson. Yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Danny Wilson. So Danny played for again. Similarly, he was one of few black players who'd played for Cardiff at Rugby Union. Well, well, Wales didn't win um, a Five Nations between 1911 and 1950. Well, the same reason that we were toiling in, in, in most of the 80s was the so same I, thing. So, you know, I, I remember all the, those players going north when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10. And I, I dad had told me about David Watkins. I thought David Watkins was the first one. I hadn't realised that there'd been this steady flow of Welsh, of Welsh talent from amateur rugby union to professional rugby league. And also one thing I, you know, again, you know, my, my dad's died in the World Rugby Union. And what I like now about rugby league, which I hadn't realised, is that it's quite an anti-establishment game. It's quite yeah. an anti-establishment oh, so. ethos to rugby league. Yeah, it's just a lack of recognition. I mean, I, t- I just think there's a B&Q on Newport Road, right? Yeah, yes. And I took a photograph a couple of years ago. But now bear in mind that none of those lads, Sullivan, Billy Boston, uh, Gus Risman, you know, there's no recognition here for, for any of those lads. There's no yeah. blue plaques, there's no statues, there's no nothing. I went to uh, B&Q on Newport Road a couple of years ago, right? There's a plaque there, I'll read it to you. This plaque commemorates the opening of WH Smith slash Do It All Cardiff by the Right Honourable, the Lord Mayor of Cardiff, Councillor Philip Dunleavy, OBE, 10th of June, 1982. So, do it all's got a plaque, right? 
and Gus Risman hasn't got a plaque. When the one X player fills up, especially on the race thing. But it goes back even to the turn of the century guys where the Irish guy has to get rid of the O from his name. Oh, that was unbelievable. That. I forgot yeah, that. yeah. It is the establishment game in Wales. Yeah. In a way that, in a way that well, bizarrely... Into the church it? And, and, you know, yeah. that we haven't got a lot of public schools in Wales, but it was very much part of those, you know, it was... Yeah, yeah. Like, mm. when, I saw, when they showed that picture in the, in the sort of a mento box at the beginning, yeah. it just says Neil. Well, they spelt that wrong. And they insisted yeah. on dropping the O in yeah. the programmes and on the, yeah. you know... Talk about mementos, the, the, the rugby league archive. Don't get me on that. Well, what the Welsh Rugby Union... Right, here we go. What the fuck, right? You think how long... Rugby goes back in Wales, and, and you say yeah. it's part of the national fabric of Wales, right? 1870s, yeah. you know, 150 years of history. There's nothing, right? I went to the National Football Museum in oh, Manchester. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is absolutely astonishing. Oh, I bet it is. And I went to the one in Preston when it used to be at Deepdale, um, and then they moved it quite controversially a few years ago. But it's what a day. If you like football and if you like history, yeah. it's just the best possible. Well, the NFL one in Kenton there in Ohio. You look at that and think, my God. And it's not hard to do this stuff. Well, it's just old shirts on mannequins. Yeah. I'd walk around that for an hour. Yeah, yeah. That'd be amazing. You know, old caps, old boots yeah. and programmes. And Well, Car- Carolyn hit the presenter. Yes. She holds up, whose shirt is it? It's still got the mud on it. I think I it's one of Jim pre- Sullivan's. Pre- Pre-war games, they've got them caked in mud that's you know seventy years old. The thing that frustrates me about Welsh sport in general, in particular rugby, I think rugby's quite bad for this, is poor use of its resources. Oh, Gareth Edwards. Why is his fucking statue outside Card World, right in a shopping centre? You've got to be shitting me. One of the best players of all time. Crazy decision. You walk up like a discount card shop and there's Gareth Edwards' statue. (laughs) Next to like a fucking vape store. What? You wouldn't see like a Don Bradman statue next to a flipping... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, some Greggs. Fucking indoor Greggs. (laughs) With a couple of chavs just sat on it, having a fag. Can you imagine? Because if you listen to this and and you're not not from Wales, not this... I mean, there's less and less of those every week, I'd imagine. But I mean, <laughs> even that Maltese you know, bugger's gone there. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe you're in you know, New Zealand or Australia. I don't New Zealand after last week. Yeah, okay. All right. That's a fair point. Right after, See, you're in American Samoa. They like us they're, after, they're after, well after a couple of huge few weeks ago. They're yeah. huge. Imagine having a really. Jaya's still bro- listening. Imagine having a really brilliant, glorious history, but just fucking it up, just not making the best of it. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, just wasting a really, really interesting history. Go to the Cabinet War Rooms in London. Yeah, yeah. It's just empty. <laughs> what, what's this? Oh, that's where Churchill was. Where? Just yeah. down there. Just over there. Is there down there? No. I genuinely felt embarrassed that I'd not heard of these people because we're not we're not talking about you know goodish, decent players. The best we're talking of about the best. We're, yeah. we're yeah. talking about icons of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And I and. I think I know the Welsh sporting icons, or I thought I did, and no. clearly I didn't, and I found it, I found it very, very embarrassing. But yeah, what a what a wonderful program! So that is called Code Breakers. It's available on the iPlayer. So if you go to the BBC iPlayer, uh, you can watch that anytime you like. <laughs> Let's go into 
the second round of clips. Alice, you're up first this time. This clip went viral, so if you if you've already seen it, you won't mind seeing it again because it's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it, thank me later. But this is Ian Wright um, meeting the first truly positive male role model he had in his life um, as a young kid at Highbury when he was making a documentary about his life and, and his time at Arsenal. Hello, Ian. Long time no see. Mr Pigden. <laughs> You're alive. I'm alive, he says. How are you doing? I can't believe it. Someone said you was dead. As you see, I'm very patient, and I'm so glad you've done so well with yourself. I listened to, to Ian Wright's Desert Island Discs oh, this morning, oh. which is one of the most moving 45 Beautiful. minutes of radio I've ever heard. I adore Ian Wright, and I've just realised this is quite an Arsenal-heavy uh, selection of clips for me, but I, I, I love Ian Wright. And what I like about him is that he came to football very late. Now, until Thierry Henry broke his record, yeah. he was Arsenal's record goal scorer, beating Ted Drake's um, goal-scoring record, I think. He didn't join Arsenal till he was 28. Now, he's working as a labourer on a building site Whoa. in South London. And um, he, had a f- he, had, he, he kept having trials, and, and then eventually Crystal Palace kept hounding him and said, so, so please come down for trials. And his foreman said, listen, Ian, if it doesn't work out for you, you've got a job here. If it does work out for you, but only for a few months, I will keep your job. Please, please. Because he was learning a trick. He, ju- he, he just had two kids. So Sean Wright Phillips and, and Bradley Wright Phillips, he had them when he was very young. Um, so he was he was just desperate to, to earn a living for his children. Same principle as Jonathan Davis going to witness and rather than play for Tlethley. So he he wasn't gonna tu- he wasn't gonna turn up at this um, at this uh, trial. Anyway, he does so. He starts playing for Palace. He gets picked up by Arsenal, and then he goes on to be one of the you know most iconic strikers of of the nineteen nineties in 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 the, in the Premier League. And what I love about Ian is that he remembers all the knockbacks, and more importantly, crucially, I think he remembers how they made him feel. So he's yeah. actually a very empathetic bloke. I think he's a really really good pundit. But he's very empathetic when it comes to other players and other people. And also, he because he didn't have any positive male role models apart from this teacher who he, who he'd been told was was dead, incorrectly. That's the amazing part, of that, isn't it? So his father left when he was about eighteen months, and his stepfather was abusive to his mum. And there's a heartbreaking story in the, in the Desert Island Discs where all of his estate are going on his trip, and he hasn't got a good pair of trousers. So word gets out to his dad, who he hasn't seen for years. Ian hasn't got a pair of trousers, and they're going on this trip, and he's embarrassed. So his father gets word to him. He says, listen, I'll give you some money so you can buy, buy yourself a pair of trousers. I'll be there at half past nine. So he's waiting by the entrance of his estate oh, at half past nine. I and he turns know. up, I think, at quarter past five. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And he's just been sat there for hours. He said, if he hadn't turned up, I never would have spoken to him again. And Mr Pigden, who was his teacher, saw that there was something in Ian Wright. And... Was a you know made him milk monitor and meant he you know made sure he collected the register made him feel important and wouldn't let him play football unless he'd been behaving in class because yeah. he was quite a disruptive pupil and 
I just what I think is great is that not all successful people are like this by a long shot, but Ian Wright realizes and remembers that you can't become successful at your chosen sport or profession without the help of lots of other people. And he's yes. very good at remembering that stuff. Teddy was a good example of this in, in the modern age of Harry Kane. So Harry Kane is sponsoring Leighton Orient next Yes, season. he is, yeah. yeah. Because he was like, I went there on, you know, on loan mm. as a very young player. It's where he played his first games, club. isn't it? His first yeah, and they, games. they can't survive without my money. So I'm rich, they're poor, so I'll sponsor them because it's the least I can do because... I learnt a huge amount playing at Leighton Orient, so it's you know I, I'm putting something back into the game I love, and also he's you know he's from that neck of the woods as well. Well, the, the right thing with me, I mean, I I was a PE teacher for sort of you know ten twelve years, yeah, and I still see kids who are now in their thirties that I taught, and when I I taught in the West Country and I taught in Cardiff, and and they still call you. I mean, I let kids in, in school call me Bubs anyway, so they're still a lot of them, you know, call me, hey Bubs, right Bubs, you know, like always very respectful. Yeah, and it's always nice when you hear people say that you you, you know you had a positive effect in their life. It, it's lovely, right? And it's it's without being too cliched, it, it is why you why you teach, or certainly why you should teach. And just so I was watching that, thinking when I was when I was in school, and I was a bit of a prick in school. I got I went through a, through a phase of being a bit of a. a, a what what he would call a naughty boy, right? Yeah. Um, I was a naughty boy. And then, I, but to read some old programs, I had a teacher called Mrs. Lethbridge, who was my 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 craft teacher, craft and design teacher. Right. Just her, her school reports are quite heartbreaking. They're like, um, I was never mad with me, but you could see, I was, I, I look at her now thinking, my God, she must be breaking a half. I was such a, she could see potential in me, but I was yeah. a bit of a dick, right? But then we had a fellow called Offie Scott, Mal Scott, who was the head of PE there, who played rugby with my dad. He was scrum half, dad was hooker. So, you know, knew the family really well, knew me really well. And I was always getting sent off and getting kicked out of school and being a real knob. It's quite hard to get sent off in rugby in the 80s. I managed. Um, <laughs> I managed to, yeah. I found it quite With a easy. plum. Yeah. And I remember once <laughs> that I got sent off and um, I'd lost my right completely. No way. Really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> And the next day I went to go and Wait. see him because I, I told him to, I must have told him to fuck off twenty times right when he set me off. Yeah, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. Set me off with foul mouth. So next day in school I was mortified. Thing is, it's a game for thugs played by gentlemen. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's how it works. So I remember the next day going to go in to see him. But I, I went. I said, I said, Mr. Scott. I said, I'm so sorry about yesterday. I, I lost my temper. I'm so sorry. I lost my temper. On the, on the eighth, and, fuck off. And he went, my, we all... But he was Go called Offy Scott, my dad told me, because he used to tell everyone to fuck off when he played rugby, right? So... <laughs> so That's great. So he says, um, he says, it's understandable, mate. He said, but, you know, just you, you need to keep a cool head. He said, but uh, just to teach you a lesson, I, I've, I've taken you out of the county team. I was like, you can't do that. It's nothing to do with the school. He said, well, yeah, it is to do with the school. It's a, it's a school's team, you know. Yeah. So we're, we're taking you out. Fuck off. <laughs> Right, so I, I went off on him again the second time, right? So I got kicked out of school and various things. But the, the point being, no matter how much of a knob I ever was with those teachers, and that this thing with, with that uh, that Sydney Pigden, which I loved, right? I remember when I did get a, like a Welsh schools nod when I was like 18. Yeah. Mal Scott would take me out on my own, like after school with the cones and with the balls and, and with the bags. What I love about it is if you're lucky enough to have a really fantastic teacher or role model at that age, it just means the world. And, you know, 
Ian Wright, he won league titles, he, he won the FA Cup. And yeah. the, the chaotic lifestyle and upbringing he had as a kid, Mr Pigdenland, you know, stepped into the scene. Ian Wright, well, he, he'd been in prison at the age of 18. Yeah. So who knows where he'd have ended up. And I just think what I love about it is that... He's not a ladder with Mickey Thomas. But he hasn't let the success... <laughs> he hasn't let the success change him or forget his roots. And the, the other thing I, sh- I should add, David Rockcastle was a wonderful yes. player. Same estate, wonderful, yeah. Wonderful player. We're from the same estate. And obviously he died when he was 33. Mm. And and the way Ian talks about how inspiring David Rockcastle was, because they picked... Arsenal picked up David Rockcastle when he was a young kid, whereas Ian... Because he had no one to take him to these trials. So he had trials at Charlton, he had trials at Palace, he had trials at Millwall. But I always had a dad who came to all my games and yeah, wore my yeah, yeah. boots and bought my shirts. And There is a long-held myth that if you have a lot of knockbacks as a kid, it makes you hungry for success. Yeah. Whereas in reality, you are better if you are supported. Oh, sure. You know, it just... It just it's true that you do have people, and we've already talked about him in this podcast this evening. You know, Mike Tyson had you know, nothing and yeah. went on to become world champion. It would have been better if he'd had a supportive set of parents. I wonder who Kimbo Slice's PE teacher was. <laughs> <laughs> Never gets the recognition he deserves, that man. Never gets it, does he? Had them all out by a rotary line, training. <laughs> First time I saw you track that bloke over a patio set. It was the proudest moment of my life. When you knocked that guy into that toddler's paddling pool, I absolutely, I thought, I thought I'm going to, oh, I'm going to stick with you. <laughs> right, my clip for round two. I still don't know how this happened, and I still can't understand why more wasn't made of it at the time or since. Typical Hughes volley. Whack. Does that go in? Well, if you look at it closely. I think it is going. I think it's the boards at the back. It comes back out. Mark Hughes scored an actual goal in the actual Premier League that went in, like all the way in the goal, and no one noticed. Literally bounced off the back of the goal. That's also bonkers. there is a there is a more famous older example of this happening. There's Go on. the Clive Allen free kick. Yes, for... there is. Yeah. Um, who's he playing? Is he playing for Crystal Palace in 1980? Where it, it actually bounces out of the goal because it hits the stanchions and it, and it comes straight it comes back out. So straight he, back out. So he leathers it. He puts his. But this, didn't this one hit the, like the advertising hoardman come out? Well, the, hard, the hoardings are so close. At the, is it the Dell, yeah? Yes. And the hoardings were so close to the back of the goal, and Mark Hughes hits it with so much venom that it kind of hits the hoardings, comes straight back out again. Yeah, but even he didn't make a big fuss about it. And, no. and none of his team inside the six-yard box did anything. But why would you not? Why would you not go nuts? Like, right now, you've got people... Well, not right now, but this season, you've got people complaining about, like, Firmino's armpit being offside or onside mm. yeah, for a yeah. goal being denied. I mean, m- m- millimetres. Yeah. This, is, this um, has gone right the way into the goal. But everyone must have heard that as well. You hear it bounce off an advertising hall. Imagine being yeah. one of the defenders or the goalkeeper who's then just blagged it. And God, did anyone else see that? <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think anyone's noticed. Like Maradona like, trotting like, back to the halfway line. Like Maradona hands it caught, yeah. What's <laughs> up so with your hand? Diego, nothing? It's fine. What are you shaking it for? It's fine. Yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, fine. fine. <laughs> yeah, the fact, that, the fact that I won a 
you know, the ball in the air, and I'm five foot four against Peter Schultz. <laughs> Jumping a full stretch, punching. Yeah. I think I think the referee just thought that I've, I'm quite springy. I think I got away with it, guys. Yeah. Wouldn't the linesman be on the Wouldn't the linesman be on the corner flag as well at that time? Yeah. He's, he's there and Sparky looks at him and Ooh. I've been looked at by Mark Hughes for just asking a question and Ooh. I crap my oh, pants. Oh, God, I love Mark Hughes. Um, yeah, I crumbled within seven seconds of looking what, at his eyes. He's a, a petrifying man. What a physique for rugby union. My granddad, he would rave about Mark Hughes' thighs, right? My, my, my grandfather was a footballer, you know, in the before and during and after the war and a boxer. But his... His opinion of Mark Hughes' thighs could not be any higher. And that's um, stuck in my have mind. Have you seen the footage yeah. of him when he was coaching Man City? Oh, I love this. Mm. Yeah. And he just absolutely wallops a volley at the top corner. The other one, the other one which I can't find, is he is unveiling a new signing. And I can't remember who he's managing, so it, might be, it would be easy to work out. But he's unveiling a new signing, and the new signing... Fucks up the kick, the kick ups, the keepy uppies that you've got to do for the press, mm. and then Mark Hughes just does it in his suit. <laughs> right, Mike, what is your choice for round number two? Oh God, this is the most joyous thing I've seen in a long, long time. Right, obviously, this everyone's going through a bit of a shit time at the moment. Do yourself a favour, watch three minutes of this. Highland dancing is second nature to Duncan McLean. After all, he learnt the finer points from his mother in Scotland a matter of 85 years ago. Now 88 himself, he regularly has a Highland fling in the front room to remind himself of his days on the music hall and to entertain his wife, Elsie. But this sort of thing, remarkable enough in a man who will soon be embarking on his 90th year, is merely a warm-up for Mr McLean's first love and main pursuit, sprinting. So there we go, the tartan flash, right? <laughs> I used to live by I used to live by the tenor, what would Burt Reynolds do, right? right. What has changed since when I saw that on Thursday to what <laughs> would the tartan flash do in any given situation, right? I just, it's so good. That, that opening, when you see, it, and his wife is sat there, lover, her, on the two-seater sofa, him. and he's doing a Highland fling, which, I, I mean, I talked to my mate Luke about this, who's Scottish, and we're in universal agreement that the Highland Fling is probably the shittest of all the world dances. Right? <laughs> he remembers me having to do the Highland Fling in school. And even Scottish people hate it. So I don't know who's supposed to enjoy it, right? Well, Elsie isn't. She hate. Do you know what? I'll tell you why Elsie's not fucking enjoying it, shall I? Cool. She's seen it every day for 50 years. You know, just, I, I can imagine Elsie, God, God rest her soul, just saying, Flash, can we just have, have a morning off? Yeah, just the the Welsh the Welsh equivalent is Dunshire Clockshire, which is clog dancing. I don't oh know if you've ever God. seen this. I make Gethin to do that. My dad would always say, as a teenager, he'd say, "Oh, if you want girls to like you, Clockshire." Really, no matter how big your clogs are. Oh, I mean, there's a caveat there. If if you want girls who like clog dancing to like you, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You've missed out a bit of that sentence. Yeah. I would say, <laughs> Dad, I want no oh, bit. Yeah. I want no part of the clog dancing oh, fancy and girls. Man, Thank you very much. In the garbage in girls like the boys who. So he's doing a Highland fling for his missus, right? And she Your dad lied to you. With like, she's something like painted on eyes, isn't she? She, she is bored shitless. Oh. She is. She has heard him talk about winning the South African hundred meters in nineteen ten. Nine point nine. Amazing, though. Mate. Well, it's it's it's, it's the hundred yards. 
pull you out. So he's shorter than Andromeda's. The Collins. Sartan Flash's name bandied around this podcast willy nilly. 9.9 seconds. 100 yards, though, wasn't it? 100 yards. Yeah, shorter, shorter distance. I like you, two things about this. You're talking about a 10 800. That's doable. I loved him. I love him so much. He does the 100 metres in 14 and a half seconds as an 88-year-old. But I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, there's that clip when he's over at Crystal Palace there and Elsie's there wearing her Sunday best again, right? Yes. Yeah. She's there. She's there. Like like my nan. She looked like my nan in a day, right? My nan would have about 14 layers of clothes on. Yeah. So she'll have... I'm telling you, Elsie's wearing stockings with suspenders. Yeah. Petticoat. some, Some knickered arrangement, then a petticoat. Then an underskirt, then a girdle, then a skirt, and then a vest, and then yes. several blouses, and a top, and a jacket, and a coat, and a hat, and a, and a hat pin, right? And a, and a brooch. Right? <laughs> a brooch. <laughs> and a brooch, right? <laughs> With a stopwatch that I'm fairly convinced has been stuck on 14 seconds for about 30 years, right? Yeah. But there's no way, right? There's no way the Flash is doing that in 14 seconds. It's just, it? I just did think. I, I've got no idea what my hundred meter time is, but I thought oh. if I can't beat a hundred, if I can't beat an eighty-eight year old man, good boxer too, mate. Good boxer. Yeah, broke a bloke's ribs. My dad. What time did I do, love? What time was it? Fourteen <laughs> seconds again, Flash. Yeah. Oh, great that. Been fourteen seconds since the fifties. I'm so right. consistent. That's right, the man. thing. I'm not draw. I'm 88, 90 years of age next year. My personal best. He's doing sprints at the age of. He's almost. He's, going to America, he's then getting on a plane to America, where like I think the next oldest bloke is like 48. He's like my. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to fancy your chances when you went in an over oh, 40s race. If you're 44 and the bloke, the bloke in the lane next to you is. <laughs> It's 50 years old. I fancy my chance against Alan Wells in the over 40s. I'm a very confident man. <laughs> Do you know, he does, I think I Googled him. I think he died at 96. I was gutted. I'd like to think he died on the track. That'd be brilliant if he did. Did 14 seconds again. Elsie <laughs> had died five years earlier and he just propped her up. She'd been embalmed <laughs> with a 14-second stopwatch next to, the, next to the finish line. What says that, love? What's that you say, Elsie? 14 seconds. Aye, right enough. That's... What, another Highland fling? Okay, <laughs> off you are so nicely. I love the way you say, please, at the end of that. Granddad Flash, where's, the, where's Nana Elsie gone? <laughs> Aye, in the sack. She's been dead for years. Just there, just wheel her out. Stick her on the finish line. Little voice box just that just says 14 <laughs> seconds. Press play. How did you love? 14 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Fourteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the wind blow high and the wind blow low. <laughs> Dancing around a corpse in the living room. Just out of habit. Just out of habit. We've all done it, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's band two for murderer? Hey, what's plan two for being kept against my will? <laughs> Poor woman. She didn't talk and all that. Do you notice? The whole talk. thing. What a life. Oh, Wake up in the morning, just think, oh, Jesus Christ. Put 14 layers on, go downstairs, have a, have a Highland fling, go to the track in the rain, say 14 again. seconds, come home. <laughs> Even though it's clearly taken him a minute and a half. <laughs> come home, he hit him out South Africa again. 9.9, I did love 9.9. <laughs> Iron is kilt. Curse my longevity and go to sleep. 
Did you break his ribs? Whoa, that's, that's great. That's oh, right, right. 1910. 9.9, that's great. See you in the morning. Yeah. I, like, you know, I don't even reckon Bantu. I was Bantu for a little, little fast, little fast man. Good night, Flash. Night. <laughs> Imagine with your Bantu Google Translate. It says here it means you weak cunt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the Flash. Shut up. Don't knock the Flash. All the Bantu lads just a chant, you know. Fast one, fast one. Night now. Fast Bantu for 14 seconds. Although I love you, Elsie. Aye. Thanks. <laughs> I <laughs> love you too. <laughs> <laughs> Want a cup of tea, Elsie? 14 seconds. Aye. Right enough. Elsie, how much longer should I do this fling? 14 seconds. <laughs> I want I want nothing more in life than in fifty years from now to still be putting on my best Highland gear and doing a fling for my wife downstairs, and then going down to Leckworth running track. Smashing out a one minute thirty hundred meters. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly's there, just going fourteen seconds. For Christ's sake, just tell him fourteen seconds, please. It's not worth it, Ben. Gets angry, otherwise. He gets angry and bangs on about South Africa. <laughs> if we don't want him to bang on about FW de Klerk, <laughs> it's, it's easier to say that he's run 100 metres in 14 seconds and then we can all go home. I, t- I told him it was 14 now. He was PW Bota for four days. <laughs> Please don't mention that time Ellis did Zola Bud as a clip because he loses rag again. British! <laughs> Oh no, Mike. So it's time for books. Uh, Ellis, you can go first with books. What you got? I thought I'd go highbrow. Oh, good. Um, I absolutely love Alan Sillitoe's writing. Okay. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah. It's fantastic. In particular, I love. The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. It's a collection of short stories. The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner is the first one. And I like I like running. Um, I know that Mike and I disagree on this. I think after a couple of minutes, there is this feeling of freedom that you get that I that I that I think is brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah, well, just like a Okay. <laughs> and I think that Silito captures that really well in this story. It's about a, it's about a, a young boy who's a talented runner, but he's um, he's in a borstal and it's set in the fifties. And it was turned into a fantastic film starring Tom Courtney, which came out in the early sixties, I think. But um, yeah, he's this defiant young rebel, um, and he's been institutionalised. But they do let him out so that he can practice his running because he's running in a big important race. Um, I'm not going to give any uh, anything away because you know spoilers, but it is a cracking read, and um, yeah, I, I think Silito is one of one of the really brilliant English writers of the fifties and sixties, um, and there is a sporting connection. So that's my book for this week. I've gone running as well, but a slightly different kind of running book. It's by Anna McNuff. It's called The Pants of Perspective. Um, Anna is one of these adventurers who kind of goes around the world doing different challenges. She was a rower who didn't quite make it into the Olympic setup. Her dad had won a bronze medal at the Olympics in the past, and I think she's kind of 
inspired by that and a little bit kind of fueled by that as well. She rode a bike across America. This book is about her running the full length of New Zealand, which hopefully will bring us back a few New Zealand listeners. <laughs> I doubt it, but it might. Um, she's recently run barefoot across the whole of the UK. Um, and it's just Why? a really... Again, it's kind of about that. It's kind of about the people she meets along the way and the moments she has in her head of what am I doing and why am I doing it? I've gone highbrow as well. I've gone for Max Boyce. Um, <laughs> no, do you know what? This is, a, this is, it's not the usual sort of book that I pick on here. Um, I bought this at a cherry shop a couple of years ago. Um, I'm a big fan of Max Boyce anyway, as a performer, as a, and as a the few times I've met him, he's, he's been a very nice bloke. But this is called Max Boyce and the Mad Pursuit of Applause. Um, he became very famous very quickly in the sort of early 70s. And Al will identify with this. He was offered this a series of programmes on, on, the, on the television. Um, but he said, well, I haven't got, you know, he's, I haven't got three hours of stuff. I've, I've only got my sort of, my 40 minutes that I do. I, I can't suddenly come up with another two and a half hours of material. It's just not going to happen. So they came up with a premise, almost like a proto Rod Gilbert's work experience of where he goes and, but, but all sport based. So this book is about, um, there's a great bit about hanging out with rodeo uh, riders and, and being in the rodeo. Cool. He plays uh, elephant polo in, in India, which is brilliant. But my favorite bit, unsurprisingly, is he went over with the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. And this, is, this was just around the time that, that American football started on Channel 4. And uh, I was lucky enough, a few years ago, at Max's 70th birthday at Triorki Rugby Club, where he did the famous album. BBC Wales did a thing there, and I got to interview Max Boyce uh, there. But not to ask him the normal questions he gets asked, I'm sure. I asked him about that because I'm a big NFL fan. Yeah. About the Dallas Cowboys thing. And he was saying, because I remember watching it as a, as a kid. He was in, if you don't know, he, they've... They put him in a room with a fellow called Ed Jones, Ed Tutol Jones, six foot nine, like defensive end, and Max Boyce. And he goes to preseason with the Cowboys, and it's about him trying to make the team. Now, if you ever met Max Boyce, Max Boyce is about five foot six, yeah, yeah. curly haired, very friendly looking Welshman who played a guitar and carries a big leak around the place, right? So, <laughs> and they said, even at the time, and Max had been a coal miner and played a little bit of rugby. He wasn't he wasn't a pushover, but even at that, even then. The Cowboys, you know, were professional NFL outfit. They're not yeah. going to just do. They're not going to be involved in some sort of joke thing, right? So they were, they, they were very keen for it not to be a joke, right? So Max Boyce is telling the story that they that they had to tell the Cowboys that Max Boyce was one of the Wales's best rugby players. No way. Yeah, they didn't tell him that he was a, he was a comedian. Oh no way! They so said, they think they he's said, brilliant. He's a really good rugby player. They think he's JPR. So they give him this this shot. So okay, we'll come over. You know, and oh a lot of times, sort of seventies and eighties, oh a lot of players from here were going over there to be kickers and try things. So, yeah. So Max Boyce says he gets on the plane. He gets on the plane to Dallas, and so when he gets to Dallas, there's this entourage from the Cowboys, right? And they come up and says, uh, "Are you Max Boyce?" He goes, "Well, yeah, yes, sir. I'm Max Boyce." And he goes, "We thought he'd be a little taller than this," <laughs> and he went, he went. I haven't been well. <laughs> I just love that. Oh, that's good. He says he quite 
quite early on gets into it. You know, he's doing his best and he's going through the, you know, he's really slogging his guts out. And and they put him on the field. They, 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 sorry, they said first game Ooh. they played was the, against the Green Bay Packers. Right. An actual what, game. Pre-season, pre-season game. A right. pre-season game. Pre-season yeah. game. So they say to Max, uh, Packers at the time were awful, early 80s. Yeah. And the Cowboys were, were good. They said to Max, we'll get, when we get up by two scores, we'll bring you on. Not right. as a kicker, as a running back, right? Oh, my God. So he sat there on the sideline. And he, he still remembers the play. I can't remember if it was caught some like, East slot right on whatever it was, right? Yeah. What? But he, he remembers to this day, and he's a seven-year-old man. He does, yeah. He remembers that exact play. Yeah. And he said he sat there on the sideline waiting to go on and have this play for the Cowboys in, in Texas Stadium, you know? It was real upset, and the Packers won the game. So, so that he never got on the field. And he said that's one of his few regrets in life. And, that, and he just sat there for the whole game, in the helmet, in the pads, on the sideline, waiting to go on and have that one run Play that one play for the Cowboys. He'd have got, he'd have got mullet, wouldn't he? He'd have had his spine yeah, Would you care? I would yes. love it. You wouldn't care, mate. You'd love it. What one chance? Yeah. I'd play one, one play. play. 100%. Of course you would. 100%. Yeah. Right. If you want to find any of the clips that we've been talking about during the podcast, we'll tweet some out during the week. But the best place to find them all, we'll stick a playlist up uh, under episode eight on our YouTube channel. So the Socially Distant Sports Bar is what you need to search for on YouTube. At Distant Pod is where you can find us on Insta, on Twitter, and on Facebook as well. And if you want the free beers, you need to go to beer52.com slash distant for your eight free beers. Right, that's us for this week. We'll be back with you again for another one next.